Welcome to the Vox Church Podcast. We're so excited that you're taking some time today to listen to today's message. If something from today's message specifically touches your heart, text Vox Church, all one word, to 97000, and one of our leaders would love to connect with you. Also, make sure you visit voxchurch.org for more information about our church and upcoming service locations and times. God bless you. Come on, well, welcome Vox. We love you guys. How you doing? Welcome Branford, 1130. We're so glad that you're here. All right. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mike and I'm one of the pastors here. Such a joy and an honor to be with you. I have the great honor of introducing our speaker this morning. If you know the Shepherd family, they've been a part of our church for really since the, since the very beginning. Over 10 years or so, they've been coming. Keisha and Jermaine serve on staff with our New Haven location. Keisha, Keisha joined our team about three years ago. She is our Women's Connections pastor at our New Haven location. She is an incredible woman of God. To know the shepherds and to know Keisha is to love them. They are an awesome family. We are so blessed to have them a part of Vox. They have really been a part of the very fabric of this church for so long. And so we are blessed this morning to hear from the one and only Keisha Shepherd. So would you help me welcome her this morning? Keisha Shepherd, everybody. Thanks, Mike. All right. Good morning, everyone. 1130 service. <laughs> it's so good to be here. So good to be here today. Um, you know, as Mike has said, um, we've been coming since 2012 to back then it was City Church in um, now Vox, but um, we started attending at Co-op High School when we were just one campus, about 100 people, and it was um, actually the first Easter at Co-op High School that we attended. You know, um, you know, Vox is an amazing church. We live on the edge, right? And so um, one thing that they did is they brought a donkey on stage. We're there, and we were like, okay, that's how they do it. And we were able to make, you know, that day we're like, we're, we're, we're down. We're, we're going to be a part of this church. Um, and so um, what they did is they gave a donkey for anyone that, that came to know the Lord, you know, overseas or whatever. Anyway, that's like little minor details. But, um, yeah, we've been attending since then. And, man, just to look, just look around you. I mean, with our 1130, our Brantford campus, God has done an amazing work from one campus now to nine different locations. Man, God is so good. You know, I just want to take a moment and just honor um, our lead pastor, Justin Kendrick and his wife, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, for just being obedient to the call of God. Like God said, start a church in Connecticut out of all places, and they started a church and to really believe for a move of God to really come back, and we've been experiencing it, right, been experiencing a move of God, but man, God is not done. We really believe that the least church region in the United States will become the most spiritually vibrant place on earth. You know, how many believe that? You know, we've been in the series, Love Like Jesus. Man, it's been an amazing series. Week after week, we've been hearing, you know, messages that have been coming across the pulpit and really challenging our hearts, right? Really stretching our hearts to love. Um, last week, Pastor Mike Schnappi spoke an awesome message on just the forgiveness of God, right? And really just challenging us. He said, you know, just like the scriptures say, forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. 
And you know, when, when people have wounded us or offended us, that's not an easy thing to do, to say, okay, now I'm going to do that. You know, it's, it's a hard thing, but God is calling us to it, right? And this week, our topic today is we're bringing a little bit close to home, and we're going to be talking about the family. And so when I say the word family, you could be a single person um, living in a close-knit community that you call family, right? You could be um, a single mom or a married couple with or without kids. We all have different family dynamics. And so what I want to do this morning is just give you a little insight into our family dynamic, the shepherd family dynamic. And so my husband, if you could throw that picture up there, um, Jermaine Shepherd. How many know Jermaine? Jermaine is well-loved. We've been married for 17 years. God is so faithful. Man, this man right here is one of the most resilient, loving men I know. Um, and together we have four children. And so our, our daughter, Shamane, um, and our grandson, Jazani. So cute, right? <laughs> and then together we have three boys. And so we have 15, 13, and a five-year-old. And so Jermaine Jr., Jeremiah, Josiah, yes, and it's the repeat of Jazani because this was the best picture. But anyways, this is our boys. You know, thank you. A few weeks ago, um, my family and I, my mom's side, we had a family reunion. And it's been 14 years since we've gotten together. Ever since my grandma passed away, she was like the glue keeping our family together. And our family like really dispersed. And so this year we're like, you know what, we need to get together. No one's getting any younger. We got to make this happen. And so we were able to make it happen and come together. And we, were, we, we met at Indian Wells in Shelton. And I have family come along from just many different states. And we met together at this park. And so... It's toward the end. We're almost ready to, to like close up shop. And my cousin comes to me and she's like, Keisha, we didn't get a picture of all the kids. And I'm like, really? We didn't? And she goes, I'm, I'm going to give you a challenge because we're at a park, right? And so the kids are running around everywhere. And she says, I challenge you to get a picture of all the kids. There's about 30 kids. And she goes, and you're going to do it all by yourself. I'm like, really? You're going to make me do this all by myself? But I was able to make it happen. And this is our our family reunion picture. We have all the kids together. You know, one thing about a, a picture, right? Um, and when you see a family, it shows like the perfect family, right? All smiles, everyone together, everyone loving one another. That's what we see. You see pictures on, on Facebook or Instagram, and, and you're like, oh, that's the perfect family. Oh, look at them. They love each other so well. You know that quote, everyone's laughing because you know, <laughs> you know, um, that quote says, a picture is worth a thousand words, right? We have no idea what took place to make that picture, right? To, the, there's a story behind every picture. And what I want to say to you today is there's a story behind every family, right? Every family has a story. You know, last week, Mike Schnepp, he talked about um, Encanto, the, the movie. How many saw that movie? Yeah, adults, we watch it too. <laughs> and it talked about a family, right? A family that was loving one another, and they're happy, and they're singing together. I mean, just an awesome family. But then you realize that this family, what they're doing is they're really just trying to hold it together. And then they say, we don't talk about Bruno. Like there was this issue in their family that they decided that this is something we don't talk about. 
We don't talk about this type of things in our family. You know, we do the same thing. In the family, there are things we don't talk about, right? You know, we don't talk about um, how hard it is to raise kids these days. You know, we don't talk about that. You know, we don't talk about how parents and children, you know, sometimes don't even talk to one another. We don't talk about those things, right? You know, so we don't talk about sometimes the messiness in family. You know, siblings that can't get along or how every night you and your spouse, you're arguing. You know, we don't talk about those things. And I mean, there's really certain things we don't really talk about. You know, your child that's battling with mental illness or your spouse that is really wrestling with an addiction. We don't talk about those things. You know, we don't talk about how, you know, your parents got a divorce and that really affected you. You know, we don't, we don't go there. We don't talk about those things, right? You know, we just keep smiling and keep going on. Like, these things don't have an effect on us. Um, you know, you may be a grandparent in here today, and you're not able to see your grandkids. Why? Because you have a strained relationship with your child. See, we don't talk about that. You may be living in community, and no one knows what's really going on. No one knows the real you because why? You don't talk about those things. You know, behind every family, there's a story. You know, the reality is family is a great thing. We love our family, but family's also messy. Family's messy. We all know that. You know, um, the question today I'm going to ask and hopefully answer is how do we love our family in the middle of the mess? You know, it's easy to love our families, right? When things are going great, everyone's getting along, we're united, we're, we're, we're loving, we're happy, but when things are hard, you know, when things take place in our families that, that are really hard to wrap our head around, you know, it's hard. It's hard to walk in love in the middle of the mess. You know, today, our text is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We all know the scripture, right? Um, it's read at every wedding. I call it the love chapter. <laughs> you know, it talks about what love is. And, um, I mean, we go into Hobby Lobby, right? You see it. You see love is patient. Love is kind. You see all these things. This is a scripture that many people know. Um, you know, but we're going to dive into this text today and really talk about, you know, what love is. And so it says love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. You know, if you're taking any notes today, the title of my message is called A Beautiful Mess. Let's pray. Jesus, we just thank you so much. Thank you so much for your love, your grace, your mercy, Lord. Thank you that each and every week you have been really stretching our hearts and challenging us to love. And God, today we're talking about the family, like really hitting close to home. And God, I just pray, Lord, that you would move in each and every one of our hearts. Each of us, we have different family dynamics, God. Different things, different seasons we're in. But God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts today, God. In Jesus' name, amen. And so Paul here in this text, in, in, in 1 Corinthians 13, he's addressing the Corinthian people. 
You know, if you can read about it, Acts 18, it talks about how Paul was preaching the good news of Christ in the city of Corinth. And he was there for about a year and a half. Whole households were transformed. Like families were getting saved. People were coming to know the Lord. But you know what? They had a difficult time putting into practice the commandments to love one another in the atmosphere where they lived. Right? I mean, they were coming to church, serving, feeding the poor, like doing the work of God. But Christ-like love was not being represented by the actions of the Corinthians. And honestly, this was the root of all their problems, their lack of love towards one another. You know, what Paul was seeing was a church that was established. It was an established church, but it was also divided. They were competing with one another. They were rude, disrespectful. I mean, they were even taking one another to court. They couldn't settle disputes. They were jealous and selfish and on and on and on. You know, they really forgot what love really is. Just like we do. We know what love is, right? We, we see the, the it's love is patient and kind and not rude. We know these things, but they really forgot what love really is. And Jesus clearly said, the greatest thing you can do is love God and love one another. And I love what Paul did because Paul just didn't ignore, right? He didn't say, oh, that's just the Corinthian church. He didn't say, oh, yeah, I know they're facing, they'll figure it out. No, he addressed the issue. He said, man, you got things all out of order. You know, you need to prioritize love. He said, in the family of God, you know, love needs to be in the center. You know, he wanted to place things back in proper order. You know, just like the Corinthian church, you know, sometimes we have families, right, that are divided. You know, it says a house divided cannot stand. You know, you could be faithfully serving in your church, you know, working, providing for your family, but your house could be divided. You know, just a few statistics to share with you. 70 to 80% of Americans consider their families dysfunctional. Research indicates that one in four American adults have become estranged, meaning that they're no longer close or affectionate with their family members. And, you know, we live in a culture, man, cancel culture is a real thing. It's not just for those who are rich and famous or who are out there on, on, on the web, right? It's, it has also crept into families. You know, remember how we used to have a dispute and agree to disagree but value the person or the relationship over the issue? No, culture, culture says you could just cut people out of the equation, you know? Paul here was calling the church to prioritize love. And my appeal today is the same. Let's prioritize love and let's start first with our own family. You know, I just want to share with you um, just a few just snippets of my story because God has really been stretching my capacity to love for years. You know, you know I was introduced to the love of Christ at the age of 16. You know, we came into the church and I remember the pastor preaching and I honestly don't remember what he was saying, but all I know is I walked up to the altar and I felt and experienced the love of God for the first time. I really felt God just hug me and embrace me. Man, and God gave me a new heart that day. He gave me a new heart. And I was on mission. I said, man, God, I want to serve you. Whatever I need to do, figure out how to serve you, how to live for you. But you know what? It was hard. It was hard for me to love in the atmosphere I lived in. You know, we each have a history. We each have a story. Pete Scazzaro said, 
Jesus may live in your heart, but you still have grandpa in your bones. You know, I'm the second oldest of five children. I grew up in a home in Bridgeport, Connecticut with my mom and my stepdad. Um, and our household was, um, it was an abusive household, you know, physically, verbally. It was very hard um, to live in that atmosphere. You know, I grew up really guarded, you know, really guarded, um, not trusting people. I didn't trust people to genuinely love, you know. Um, I had to learn, learn how to love others. You know, at this time, um, I was actually living with my aunt and uncle. And my mom eventually left my stepdad, you know, and ended up getting her own home. Um, and so she was with the kids, and I was with my aunt and uncle. Um, and um, she got her own home, and my aunt and uncle finally said, okay, it's now time to go back with your mom. You know, you're not still living in that environment. Because I was really the brunt of a lot of the abuse. I was in the middle of all the fights. And so, you know, it was difficult to live in that household, you know. But coming back and reconciling with my mom and my siblings, it was difficult. It wasn't an easy thing. You know, since we've been so separated, we were living and then to try to come back together. You know, every time my mom, we would get into disagreement, I didn't understand why I was so angry. I was just so angry. And I'm like, why is this anger coming out so much? I had so much like, like, like rage, like I get so upset at my mom and I, I, I didn't understand. I just said, I didn't understand why I was, why, why I was so like angry with my mom. And I was serving God, right? Um, learning what it is to follow Jesus. And I remember those days so clearly because it would take me to my room in prayer and I'd be like, God, help me. God, I want to love my mom, but I can't. I'm so angry. And I remember um, the day where the Lord really like showed me what happened, like why my mom sent me off to my aunt and uncle. He really showed me and softened my heart and said, it wasn't her abandoning you. It was her loving and protecting you. And man, I remember me and my mom, my mom has been walking with the Lord for many years as well. And uh, we were at a women's retreat and I went to my mom and I said, mom, I am so sorry for holding all that against you. I know it was just you trying to love and protect me. You know, our text says, love does not keep a record of wrong. You know, maybe today you're here and you're holding on to unforgiveness for a wrong done to you. And this is causing you to be unloving to those around you. You know, another key moment in just my journey in learning to walk in love. Um, I moved out of my mom's house. And um, the pastors at that time, the church that we were attending, they had a community house, you know. And so our pastors lived on the second floor. You had six guys that lived on the third floor and then six girls that lived on the bottom. So it was like community home. They were, I consider them family. We were all getting along. I thought everything was going fine. Um, and then our pastor, he calls a house meeting. And I'm like, okay, go into the living room. We're all ready going into a house meeting. And we all sit down, and he opens up the meeting with this question. He says, how many have been affected by Keisha's attitude? <laughs> Everybody's like, ah. <laughs> and um, all, but, all but one hand. Literally everyone in the room but one person was affected by my attitude. Um, and I remember that so clearly. Reflecting back, I thank God for it for a few reasons. He loved me enough to, I, I guess I was that stubborn, 
You know what I mean? <laughs> Maybe people tried to tell me and I wasn't listening. I was so unaware. You know, reflecting back, I even asked my, my, my siblings, I'm like, was I really that mean? And they were like, yeah, you were. You know, I was so unaware of how my behavior was affecting other people. You know, but in that, that day was, was a little turning point for me because um, it caused me to reflect in, okay, how is my behavior really relating to others? You know, I had to really like wrestle with that and learn, man, that's not how I want to operate. You know, maybe you're here today and you're unaware of how your behavior affects others. You know what? Just ask those closest to you, you know, but don't get offended. Receive it, right? Um, because love rejoices whenever the truth wins. It does. Another key moment, age 26, got married. And man, love my husband. We had an awesome wedding, awesome wedding. Um, but it was really hard. Marriage was a whole other type of closeness I don't think I was ready for. It was hard. I mean, after two weeks of being married, we got into to dispute, and um, I packed my bags, and I was out. <laughs> I tried to go to my mama's house, and she just drove me around for two hours and said, nope, you're married now. Go back. <laughs> you know, but marriage is tough. You go into... Um, you know, you, you're, you're up close. You see all their flaws, all their shortcomings, right? And, um, you know, I was judgmental, Keisha, as well. And so he's a man of God, right? And I wonder why he left for work and, um, and he didn't pray today. You know, or you didn't read your word today? <laughs> you're a man of God. I was so judgmental. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, I had some issues. <laughs> You know, I would come home and nagging constantly. I would come home and be like complaining, so irritated. You know, you left your socks all over the floor. You didn't clean your dish, like on and on and on. You know, it, it, it's tough. Does anybody can relate with me? No? Is it just me? Okay, all right. I'm not alone. <laughs> you know, but our text says, love is not proud or irritable. You know, he saw all my flaws as well through my anger, through my nagging. You know, he knew my past. I had a lot of old wounds that needed healing. You know, growing up in an abusive home, you know, I was abandoned. I was molested at a young age. You know, I experienced being raped. Like, there was a lot of issues that I had, you know. But my husband had patience with me. He really did. I still had to learn how to receive love. And almost two years later, we had our first son, Jermaine Jr., and the Lord was stretching my capacity to love again because he was a colicky baby that was up all hours of the night. I don't know if you dealt with a colicky baby, but my gosh, it stretches you to give love, right? Really stretches you. You know, in this season of our, of our, of our family, um, it was a really rough patch. I mean, me and my husband were on two different islands, you know, we were still serving in the church, still, um, you know, leading, still, still giving. But it was, it was hard. It was a really, we weren't on the same page, you know. And the enemy really came in, really came in and really rocked our home. We were two years married. We were two years married. And my husband, um, he came out of a life of drug addiction. You know, Lord delivered him from that. But during this season, he had a relapse. And man, I was devastated. 
I was devastated because, again, I married, I, I thought I married a man of God, and I thought I would never have to go through this, but I was devastated. You know, that led us to being separated for seven months while I had my second son. Um, you know, and this honestly ended up being an ongoing battle for many years that we had to walk through. You know, when you, when you look at what love is, right, we look at the text, what does it say? Love is patient. It is patient. Now, this isn't, I'm just going to wait till he gets it together. No, this is not what it's talking about. This is long-suffering. You know, it's meaning you are willing to bear with the weakness of another, all while still choosing to love. Whew. God was stretching my heart to love in a way I, I didn't think possible. I didn't think, you know, you guys heard a little bit of my story. I, I, didn't, I didn't know how to do this. I didn't know how to do this. But in that long season, God was really teaching me to see through God's eyes and not Keisha judgmental eyes, right? And really see my husband through the eyes of God and really learn to love God and allow his love to flow through me towards others. You know, John 15, 12 says this, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. This is not a suggestion. It's not, hey, here's my advice. Love one another as I have loved you. No, this is a command. He said, love one another as I have loved you. See, this type of love, it doesn't come from within. We can't just make ourselves love like this. This love comes from the grace of God. It comes from his love towards us. You know, I think if we want to talk about how we love, we got to look at how Jesus loved those that were closest to him. You know, Jesus intentionally modeled it. You know, if you read John 15, he's speaking to his disciples, and he said, you know, they were with him three years, day in, day out. This is Jesus' family. They were close, right? He knew them. They knew him. And so he was able to say, love one another as I have loved you. Jesus loved them intentionally. He loved them. You know, Peter was a hothead, right? He had a bad temper. Um, and he was the one that said, I'll never betray you, Jesus. But he was the one that fell away from the Lord. And how did Jesus love him? Jesus pursued him. And Jesus didn't come to him and say, oh, this is all your mess-ups and all your flaws. No, he began to call out the leader that he's called them to be and say, get back up. Get back up and do what I've called you to do. You know, Jesus was the first to serve. We read John 13, right? Like, Jesus takes off his robe. He's the teacher. He's the rabbi. But he takes off his robe. And he says, I'm going to wash his disciples. He washed the disciples' feet. So he served those closest to him. You know, you think about it. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, in his hard moments, you know, he was honest. He was open. He didn't just say, no, get away from me. He asked them, he invited them close and said, come pray with me. You know, he was authentic. Jesus was, was authentic. See, this type of love is calling us to a higher standard, right? It's not normal. It's not normal. That's why it looks different. It is not a love that comes from within. We can't just make ourselves live this way. This type of love comes only from God. 1 John 4, 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, 
for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. See, this type of love in the Greek is the agape love of God. And I'm just going to share with you this definition. It is a love that loves without changing. It is a self-giving love that gives without demanding or expecting repayment. It is love so great that it can be given to the unlovable or unappealing. It is a love that loves even when it is rejected. Agape love gives and loves because it wants to. It does not demand or expect repayment from the love given. It gives because it loves. It does not love in order to receive. You know, when I compare my life with the agape love of God, I fall short. How many fall short? You know, Romans 3.23 says we all fall short. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace. Let me thank God for his grace. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, he died for us. See, he didn't wait for us to get it together. Despite our mess-ups, despite our brokenness, despite our sins, Jesus died for us. Man, what kind of love is this? You know, how do we love our families like this? Like Jesus? (laughs) Yes, even in our imperfection, even in our messy lives, we can learn to love Jesus and really create an atmosphere where the grace of God is living in our home. You know, right now, uh, we have a panel that we're going to do. I'm going to call up a few friends. And come on, let's welcome them as they come out. Keisha, your pages went flying. So I hope you memorize the rest. No, I'm just kidding. Hey, we've got some friends here this morning. You know Keisha. This is uh, Keisha's oldest son, JJ. Everybody say hi to JJ. This is Mary Hotchup. Mary's been a part of our church uh, for really 10 years, New Haven location. And this is Nancy Silva, our pastor of spiritual life here at Vox Church. And so, um, you know, we wanted to just take a couple minutes and just ask really practically, you know, this idea of loving well inside the family of God and inside our homes, what does it actually look like on a practical basis? And so, Keish, we'll just start with you. You know, you referenced this season of your life where you and Jermaine were kind of like struggling, and obviously, you stayed in it, you guys fought for it, here you are a decade and a half later. So what were some of the really practical things that you did that kept your heart engaged when it just would have been easier to walk, but you made a decision, I'm not going to walk, I'm going to stay, and I'm going to press in. What did you, how did you do it? Well, um, practically, being open to God, you know, like really being open to what God says, because, you know... The world around us will tell us, no, you quit, you know, walk out of it. But, you know, really holding on to a word that the Lord gave me, um, Psalms 4610, like in this season, the Lord said, be still and know that I am God, you know, and just really leaning on that word. Um, And my husband, he has this saying where he says, we need to build a bridge back to one another, you know, 
And so that means maybe there's an offense or things are a little, um, you're distant. You know how I talked about how we're on two different islands. You know, we build the bridge back to one another. So like really having hard conversations, you know, and being honest, not covering it up. Um, saying I'm sorry often, you know, even to our kids, like saying I'm sorry to the kids. Yes, to the kids even, you know, where the kids um, can't address things with us. You know, whatever we can do to keep the unity in our home, we build a bridge back to one another. We don't let offenses fester. That's good. And God has blessed that effort. I mean, you guys have an incredible family. JJ, you know, one of the things that I love about the Shepherd family is, you know, the cliche teenage boy is disrespectful, doesn't listen to his parents, is unkind, wildly selfish, and you're literally the opposite of that in so many ways. And if you've ever been in their home, their home just has this grace. And it's not just Jermaine and Keisha, it's also the kids as well. And so, man, I want to hear, like, what have you done to cultivate a heart that has kept you from being like all the other kids your age and instead being someone who, like, thinks about your parents, loves well? How have you done that? Could I, could I interrupt really quick? Um, got mama in the house. <laughs> so I just want to brag about my son a little bit. A few weeks ago... Um, you know, our household was just a little tense. You know, Josiah, our youngest one, he was battling, you know, overcoming a cold. And so we weren't really sleeping. And um, my husband and I, we were in that process of building a bridge back to one another. And so, you know, it was a little, you know, um, not so unified in our home. Anyways, so I woke up. It was a Saturday morning. And... Um, I was sleeping in. I never usually sleep in like that. And my son, he gets up. I'm like dragging out of bed and like, okay, I got to make breakfast. And he goes, mom, you know, I see you. Go, go sit down. I'll, I'll make breakfast. And I'm like, you sure? You don't want no help? He goes, no, mom. I know you're tired. Just go there and make breakfast. This boy made breakfast sandwiches for everybody. Bacon, egg, and cheeses, by the way. <laughs> And then served his stuff, like literally brought a sandwich to each and every person, then served himself last. So, yeah. That's awesome. Hey, JJ, that's not normal. So, man, tell us, yeah. tell us, like, what have you done to become that? Well, um, well, like, the difference with, like, what I've tried to, like, stop becoming a stereotypical teenager is, um, like, just being open, being aware of the family, being aware of the household, being able to um, help my family in any type of way. That can be, like, uh, cleaning my room. It could be, like, small stuff. And, um. I just felt like during that time that I needed to make breakfast because, you know, it was kind of struggling, you know. So I just had to help in that instance. So um, it's pretty much just being aware and being aware of your household. Yeah, yeah, it's good. You know, there are these various, yeah, thank you. There are these various seasons that people go through, you know. You, you're single and you're married and you have young kids and, and then eventually your kids grow up and are out of the house. And so you <laughs> we'll edit that out if it gets on the podcast. Um, you know, how does that transition? So, Nancy, your kids are all grown out of the house, and so, but you don't stop being a parent. You don't stop loving them. You don't stop fighting for unity. So how has that relationship shifted as your kids have grown up, past college, out of the house, and now they're adults starting their own families? It's a great question, Mike. Uh, first of all, Keisha, thank you for being such a role model for our, our church, for our women. Thank you. Can we just, like, acknowledge that? It's not easy to get up and tell your story, and I love you. Um, yeah, our kids are 31, 27, and 25. Um, two are married, so we have five, really. Um, 
you never do stop being a parent. You're absolutely right, Mike. This one little like cliche thing I hold on to is when you choose to be a parent, you decide to let your heart walk around outside your body. And at any age, whether they're 10 months or five years or 35 years old, you never stop. You never fully disconnect your heart from what they're doing, what they're involved in. But the reality is when they get older, they have to live their own lives. They have to make choices. We can't rescue them. We're, our formative parenting skills, those days are kind of over. We still role model. We still set an example for But um, my husband, my wise old man husband, gave me some advice of like, say anything you want, but just don't begin your sentences with you need to or you should. And I was like, no problem. Like, I how about do. you have to? You have to. Does that one work? You better. I never do that. I was like, I never do that, no problem. And then I realized that's all I did. So you just have to shift. You have to shift. You have to shift and go with it. And it's a lot of trusting God. It's the same stuff you did when they were little, but, but it's a releasing of them, and it's a trusting. They make choices we don't like. They, make li they create lifestyles we may not be in agreement with, choose jobs, marry, whatever they're doing. We, we can't disengage because their choices don't make us happy. We can pray, we can share advice when they ask, but it's, it's, a, different, it's a different stage that is, um, can be the greatest gift in your life if you're able to kind of let go of the old ways to parent and accept this new way of loving, of being present, of maybe asking questions more than giving advice, and not questions like, what the heck are you doing with your life, but questions to understand them more and to extend that grace because it, it's not, it's ill-fitting to be still parenting a 25-year-old as you did a five-year-old. It doesn't work for them and it doesn't work for you. Um, and just one thing if I can add is if you're an adult child, you know what I mean? You're a grown-up, but you still have your parents. Um, we need you. Like, you mean the world to us. Even relationships that are strained, you never let go of that child in your heart. And I know, your 20s, your 30s, you're building careers, you're, if, you're, if you're married and you have kids, kids have sports and, and you're doing all this and do that. But I just wanna encourage you as a, a parent with adult children, all we want is to stay connected. Yeah. All we want is communication. We're boomers, we don't get the phones, we don't know what we're doing. But all we want is to stay connected and, and have time because we're aware that time is ticking. So love well both ways, you know? Yeah, that's good. Thank you, Nance. Yeah, so Mary, you know, for 10 years, you have built, you've built family within church family, you know? And it feels so often that relationships, they're fleeting. They're for a really short season, a year or two, and then there's a fence, and we go our separate ways. But you've got friends that you developed 10 years ago at Vox Church, and you still have them today. So how have you approached church family sort of using these principles that have enabled you to cultivate really deep friendships that even move into family level? How have you done that? So uh, practically, I... You know, joining a serving team, community group, like all of these ways to get to know people, connect with people. And then I also had to do a perspective shift. And like you said, like I saw my community as my family. And when I was leading a community group in New Haven with my friend Karina, we, we would often talk about like, thank you God for bringing our family together, that we are our family in this room. And so it was being able to recognize that this is a family community 
comprised of both married people and single people, like we're a family together. And when it comes to those relationships, it's very common to have fractures happen. And in those moments, it's tempting to tap out. No, when it's like, this is a little too difficult. Like I don't, I didn't sign up for all of this, but instead of, instead of tapping out, like choosing to love. And I think there's a special grace that happens when you do choose to love. And there's a quote by G.K. Chesterton that says, love is not blind, it is bound. And the more bound it becomes, the less blind it is. And being able to like think about that and being able to uh, be transparent and vulnerable. And my really close friends know like things about me that I'm like, sometimes I wish you didn't know all that. And knowing things about them, but knowing that we are working on relationships and repairing things and like learning to be close together in a way that I am learning to give grace and learning to receive it. And I think sometimes that's hard, being able to receive that grace as well. And as we're doing that, realizing that in that process, we're growing deeper together in community as we're all pursuing Christ. Yeah, that's good. Hey, can we say thanks? That's good. Thank you, guys. All right. (laughs) Come on, let's give another hand to our panel. Amen. Isn't it awesome to hear from just different stages, right? You know, from Mary, from a teenager, from Nancy raising adult children. It's just awesome to hear that insight. You know, imagine, imagine, imagine if homes and families lived out this type of love, right? Not just in what you say or what you feel, but in the way you act, the way you act towards one another. Imagine if we were intentional like Jesus. You know, think about that. You know, just some practical application I want to leave you with. You know, how do we do this? Where do we start? Jesus has become our pattern, right? He was a servant. He became our pattern for love. But do you know that Jesus is also our power for love? He's also our power. Jesus remained connected to the Father, and when we remain connected to Jesus and we abide in him, we are given literally the very love of the Father to love one another. He enables us to love. And just practically, the word abide, you know, some steps that you could take. The A is start by asking God to teach you to love, right? Just ask the question, like, God, I don't know how to do this. I need to learn. You know, in John 15, if you read that chapter, he, he tells his disciples, apart from me, you could do nothing. He knew we couldn't do it, you know, and so why not just ask? Start there. The B is believe his love for you. You know, sometimes we can't love because we have not received a love for ourselves. We're unforgiving towards ourselves. And so when we're like that, it's hard to translate that love towards other people, right? So believe his love for you. And the I is, we can't do this alone, so invite others into the process. You know, maybe two or three trusted people, you know, that can point you back to Christ. You know, I had a friend during that season, um, she told me one thing. She said, you need to get a hold of the Lord and ask God what he wants you to do. You know, she pointed me back to the Lord. 
And you need people like that in, in, in your circle. Even when things are messy and they're hard and it looks like, man, how can you get out of this? Man, God is able to do all things. And if you're walking in obedience to the Lord, man, and you respond to what he says, man, amazing things can take place in your heart and in those around you. You know, that may also mean professional counseling. Like I had a lot of things to work through. My husband has some things to work through. You know, we needed individual counseling, but also marriage counseling. So invite others into the process. Daily seek after a new heart. You know, this new heart God gives, we have to cooperate it. You know, when we first get saved, it's not just a one and done. Okay, I have a new heart and that's it. No, every single day, every single day, we need to ask God, God, give me a new heart. Why? Because I want to live and love your way, not my way. I want to love your way. And so we need his heart, a new heart. And the E is experience his grace. Grace is being loved when you are unlovable. You know, that undeserved favor, that grace. Because the reality is we're going to fail. We've already addressed that earlier, right? We all fail. But the grace of God is for us. The Bible says that his mercy is new every morning. This is an everyday thing. It's not just, we, don't, we can't just cut out. A lot of times when we're facing issues and we're going through things um, in families and, and it's really tough seasons, what we, the first thing we do is we start disconnecting from the Lord. And it's like, uh-uh, remain connected to him. You know, abide in the Lord. I'm going to ask you today, how is your abiding? You know, are you experiencing his grace for you? Are you experiencing his love for you? How's your abiding today? You know, John 15, 9, it says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. See, in this world today, we need to show the love of Christ. And imagine if we had families that really displayed the love and the grace of God towards one another. Man, I believe revival will break loose. It will. If you look at the book of Acts, right? It says home to home, house to house. People were loving one another and sharing with one another. And, and, and what happened? Man, something took place. Imagine if we, if we lived that way. God placed the seed of love in, and the more we abide and spend time seeking and knowing God's way, not our way, God's way, this seed of love grows. You know? Where is God stretching you to love? You're here today. I don't know what season you're in. I don't know what's taking place. But where is God stretching you to love? You know, maybe you're here today and you're like that family we talked about. Um, we're just trying to hold it together. You know, trying to keep things under wraps, save face and, and keep moving on like nothing's going on. You know, and you've grown exhausted and tired. And you're like, man, God, why you keep telling me to love? You know, this is hard. And you're wondering, how do I do this, Lord? You do it by keep connecting with the love of God. 
And as you do, the love of God transforms your heart. And he will enable you to walk it out. You know, maybe you're here today. I believe there's a lot of healthy, thriving families, right, that are, that are really walking in the grace of God. And the love of God is, is present in your homes. You know, not saying it's perfect, but there is a love and there is a grace towards one another. You know, a few weeks ago, um, Justin, he, he spoke an amazing message on Matthew 25. And he said, you know, he talked about the least of these. And then practically at the end, he said, start with your own family. And as your family grows healthy, then extend to the church. Maybe you're that family, right, that can help others in the church. You know, we have families that come in, come in broken, come in and say, man, I don't know where I'm going to go. We were that family years ago. You know, but imagine you coming alongside a family that is, that is, that is wrestling, that is having a hard time, and you say, hey, I'm going to model it like Jesus did for his disciples, how to love. I'm going to walk alongside you. You know, a lot of times what happens in churches, right, we go through things, and the reason why we hold stuff in is because... To be honest, church people sometimes can be the most judgmental, right? Sometimes you come in and, and we're like, oh, well, we're okay, but that issue is too much. And so we're like, oh, I don't know if I can help there. But all people need is for someone to save me, and I'm praying for you. Man, you can do it. Don't give up. Or maybe you're here today, and you never received the love of Christ. You know, the word says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't say, wait till you have it together. No, he died for us. Why? Because he loves us. And today is your day to receive the love of Christ. Now, as everybody stands. You know, this final song that we're going to sing, um, is called Make Room. And I'm going to ask you to really ask the Lord, man, God, where are you stretching me? Where are you challenging me to grow? You know, make a room for the Lord to speak to your heart. You know, sometimes we, we approach things and we're like, oh, I know what I'm going to do, right? Especially with family. We just keep going and do things like we normally are. You know, but what if we just took a pause and say, God, I want to love like you. I want to love the way you're asking me to love. And so as we sing this song, you know, really reflect in your heart and really ask God, invite God in to speak and, and really answer that. Where is God stretching you to love? Thank you for listening today to this Vox Church sermon. If something from today's message spoke to you and you've just made the decision to follow Jesus, text Vox Church, all one word, to 97000, and one of our leaders will help you as you begin your journey with Christ. God bless you.